0: we read from the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah. Darkness and despair will not go on forever. All Galilee will be honored by the sea beyond the Jordan River. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them, a light has dawned. They rejoice as people rejoice at the harvest, as victors rejoice when dividing the plunder. The oppressors bar across their shoulders. The yoke that burdens them has been shattered. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast. Its increase and prosperity will have no end. He will reign on David's throne sustaining justice and peace in his kingdom forever. Because of his great love for his people, the Lord Almighty is determined to do all this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the word that speaks hope and the light that pierces through the darkness. And now we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that through your word you would illuminate us so that we would not simply hear your word but be transformed by it and respond to it with hope, joy, peace, and love. We pray this in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, Christmas has spawned many a family tradition over the years. I'm sure you have some cherished celebrations that are part of your annual rhythm. Maybe even coming here is part of that. Uh, In our home, we have a few, uh, and one of them is debating which kinds of lights we are going to hang up on the tree. Really, it's arguing about which lights we're going to hang on the tree. There's become this kind of running dialogue as to whether or not we go with the classic white variety or the bright multicolored. Anyone else have this controversy in their home? Few of you? Well, it's an even split with us, so I thought I would take a poll. How many of you go with white bulbs on the tree? All right, how many of you go with multicolored? It's amazing that so many of you can be wrong about this. (laughs) Well, although we have this uh, disagreement every year, it's always about which lights go up. It's never whether we put lights up. We're not ever arguing about whether to hang, you know, coffee cubs or or gummy bears or anything like that. It's because lights are part of Christmas. They're, They're a symbol of hope, this idea of waiting for the daylights to break over the horizon. It's why the church has, in its wisdom, placed Christmas in the bleak midwinter to make the audacious claim that when the shadows, when the skies grow dim, the light is still shining. And so it's fitting that we've always imagined that Jesus was born at night when it was dark. Now, Luke's gospel says that there were shepherds out keeping watch over their sheep by night, but that's it. That's the only clue as to the time that we've got. In the dark... Fears come uninvited, and that's when we're most aware of our need for God to be with us. Darkness is what the newspapers describe. It's what a lot of young people forecast about the future, the world that they're going to inherit that's full of war and racial enmity and environmental degradation, economic disparity. Darkness is what it's like to read another rejection letter from another job interview, It's another negative pregnancy test or another round of chemo. It's another underwhelming first date or trying to force a smile through another rainy day. Darkness is the vacant stare into the four corners of your office or your kitchen or your dorm room and it begins to feel like a jail cell. Darkness is what's left of your heart after it has been broken we know it all too well. So we spend a lot of time throughout the day trying to push the nightfall back. We, we bury ourselves in work. We, we scroll a lot on our phones. We double tap to you know kind of put a little bit of love out there into the world to find a little bit of, of brightness. We make epic plans to try to imagine some joy we pause and we we take time to notice all the little blessings all those moments of 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 grace to us we hang bulbs in our homes we hang them around the city all to kind of push the gloom away but you can only keep the night at bay for so long eventually it breaks through all our defenses and all of the sad things the grief the old wounds, the hangers, the the fears, they break loose and they run free around the chambers of our hearts. That's how it has always been. The people walking in darkness, those living in the land of deep darkness. That's the prophet Isaiah's diagnosis of the human condition. First, there is darkness around us. It's He was writing at this time when the tiny nation of Judah was assailed by the Assyrians. They had already shattered ten of Israel's tribes and dispersed all the people around. And the remaining two were living under the constant threat that they would be next. It was an ominous shadow that swallowed up the day. But the darkness wasn't just outside, out there. The darkness was inside as well, and every divided heart As a prophet, Isaiah had this uncomfortable task of calling out the deep-seated self-centeredness and capacity for evil, the inclination toward greed and envy and self-preservation that kept his people blind to the pain of others. It's in us too. You know, as as a pastor, from time to time, I risk a little bit of vulnerability up here from the pulpit, and I share bits of hurt that form part of my story, you know, pain from the past, anxieties, struggles in the present, whatever it may be. And what's so interesting to me is that without fail, those are the most likely times when people want to come up to me afterwards and talk. And the conversations usually go something like this. Thank you. Wow. I am so glad to know that my pastor is so messed up. <laughs> I don't really know how to respond to that, you know? I'm like, you're welcome? But behind that, I think what people are trying to say is, I thought it was just me. I thought when I peered into the midnight of my soul, I was alone. But you're not. We all have these things deep down inside of us, these places of pain, these places of sorrow, of shame that that always cause us great harm. And they are the places from which we usually harm other people. We know this well. The darkness is within us, but it is also upon us. Those living in the land of deep darkness. The literal translation of verse 2 is those living in the death shadow. He's laying out the inescapable path for everyone Despite all of our medical advances, which are truly remarkable, the mortality rate has not changed. It is still one per person, as far as I can tell. And it's not stopping. Our bodies, our relationships, our world can't outrun entropy, the trajectory of death. At this, the prophet declares, this is the desperate fix that the human condition is in. I'm reminded of an image that Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to describe his days waiting in a solitary prison cell. He was a German pastor who participated in the resistance movement against Hitler and one of the many letters that he wrote to his fiance, he penned this. A prison cell in which one waits, hopes, does various unessential things and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. I love that image, a door They can only be opened from the outside. Which is to say that there's nothing that we can do to make the light shine in our darkness. There's no amount of effort on our part that's gonna make it appear. We can't look inside and find a source bright enough to chase the night away. That is our situation. Some of you were elbowing the person next to you. Why did you bring me here? Fear not, friends, into that locked door comes hope. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. These are the opening lines of what Old Testament scholars believe was an ancient Hebrew hymn. These words were sung again and again during the years of hardship and exile. They were reminding the people of God's deep love for them. One day they sang... God will come bright as the sun on a cloudless day. And so the song continued throughout the centuries. It passed down from one generation to the next. It carried on through one oppressive regime after another, Babylon, Assyria, Rome. So the people of Israel, they knew what it was to wait with expectancy for the glory from heaven to stream and invade a darkened world. And into this longing, the light appears. Not as another set of instructions, not as a set of laws, but God in person. Now I don't know about you, but I would think that if Isaiah was going to imagine this divine light to those who were struggling under the fierce shadow of oppression, he would depict it as a mighty warrior with gleaming armor, a radiant sword, but that's not how the song goes. The promise is this. Unto you, a child is born, unto us, a son is given. The hope of the world, a tiny, fragile child. saying a lot for a baby. And then he's given all kinds of names, wonderful counselor, which is something we have always needed, someone who understands the brokenness inside of us, who can offer more than empathy, but forgiveness. He'll be called mighty God, someone who is able to cast the gloom of chaos away just as God did at the dawn of creation. He's also named Everlasting Father, someone who will shelter and guide us with truth, grace, and a love that knows no boundaries or conditions, the Prince of Peace in Hebrew, in the Prince of Shalom, the long-awaited one who will also tame the forces outside of us, the one who makes wars and oppressions cease, who will make radiant all that is weathered upon us, all that is bent and wounded inside of us will be healed, the one who brings light into the darkness that holds us captive. This child is God with us, God for us, God among us who brings the gifts of love, hope, joy, and peace and allows these gifts to grow up inside of us. These are pretty remarkable names for a child. Still, it's a lot to imagine that a baby's going to be enough to turn off the dark. He's so small, lying in a manger. This this is God with us, so vulnerable, so ordinary. This is what we have been waiting for. You don't get very far into the life of faith without asking that question. Maybe you're asking some version of it now. Maybe you've long since given up trying to find an answer to that question and you're just here. But you've got to know that people have been asking that question for a long time. And the thinking goes that if, if God would go through all that trouble to step into the darkness, wouldn't it look a lot more spectacular? I mean, at least wouldn't it be unmistakable? But instead, all we have is this story of a few shepherds and an unlikely pregnancy from a young mother. So you may well look into the manger and not be blinded by it. It's just this small ray poking a hole into the night. But maybe that's all the light we need. Truth is, maybe that is all the light that we can handle. For those who have been walking in darkness, too much light all at once could be overwhelming. You see, friends, Advent builds and builds and builds through the dark until we finally get to this, that the God who fashioned the canyons and the coral reefs chose to inhabit flesh in a dirty stable. The voice which spoke the world into existence also chose to speak with a rural Palestinian accent. The God who who breathed life into humanity ventured his first breath among parents who were poor who would later become refugees. The name that is above every name was humble enough to take on a common name, one that would be praised by some, one that would be mocked and cursed by others. Christmas is a story that the power that is capable of bringing light into the world chose to surrender to the darkness all because he loved the likes of you and me enough to take on our faith, to win the victory that we could not win for ourselves and to offer it back to us as a gift given through God the Son, given through God the Father, all given in love. God chose to be known in humility and vulnerability. The word for this is incarnation, God taking on flesh and being with us. And it's a word that means that Jesus wasn't simply a God who looked human. Neither is he a human who figured out how to ascend to the heights of heaven. No, Jesus is God becoming one of us, entering into the dark with us all so he could know all of us in all of our weakness and all of our frailty. It's so easy to miss this amid all of the lights of the season. And we can get behind the idea that God you know, lit up all the darkness that surrounds us. It's just that when, that when that light gets a little bit too close to us, when it shines on what is inside of us, so often we have this narrative kind of running around through our heads that if God really saw what was going on in here, if God really knew the confusion and the division that was deep down, he would let me fade into the shadows. We have no problem really imagining that God can be close when things are going well, when every bit of life seems as though it is bathed in sunlight." It's easy to assume that when you're living well, when you're living virtuously, when you're making wise choices, when you're in step with Jesus and his mission to the world, that is when God is with us. But the incarnation shows us a God that is way different than we would expect. It reveals a God who identifies with us in our weaknesses as much as in our strengths. See, our hearts are kind of like the repelling pole of a magnet. We do everything we can to push grace away, but Jesus' heart is the exact opposite. He is drawn to us, He is pulled to our weakness and to our moments of deepest need. The psychologist David Benner puts it like this Everything within us tells us that the universe must be organized according to a principle wherein we get what we deserve. But quite unbelievably, God is not simply the projection of our own image into the cosmos. He is different than anything we could have ever imagined. He offers us something we could never deserve, forgiveness of our sins and his embrace of love. You see, a God who sympathizes with us, who who watches over us from a distance, that might warm our hearts, but it isn't going to heal them. And so Jesus had to become acquainted with our darkness. He had to know hunger and temptation. He had to know great dreams and betrayal, love, laughing, crying, bleeding, yes, even death. That is how he is the wonderful counselor. He is the healer dealing with the very condition that you are dealing with. He wrapped himself in the human experience, but he did not get lost in the darkness. He came to show us the way home. See, the one who knows our weakness also knows what it is to be resurrected, to ascend to the Father, to reign and rule over all creation and and what it is to bring in a new kingdom. That is why he is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is God's glory, powerful enough to end your suffering, humble enough to step into it with you. The wonder of Christmas is that if the sun wasn't given, there would be no brightness at all. But all because he chose us, the door of freedom has been opened from the outside. He was given to live and die and rise for us so that the darkness within us can be forgiven, so that the darkness upon us can be reversed, so that even the death and decay that claims our world and our bodies will be no more. At his funeral, Eugene Peterson's son said that his father prayed the same prayer every night. Eugene Peterson was a pastor and a prolific writer. And every night he prayed this, God loves you, God is on your side, he is coming after you, he is relentless. Friends, that is who God is. All because he loves you too much to leave you in the shadows. Do you know that God? Some of you are here, you don't know why you're here. Weight of family obligation, sentimentality. I get it. It doesn't really matter. I'm just glad you're here. We're all glad you're here. But now that you're here, you've got to put Jesus somewhere. Danish philosopher Søren Kierkegaard said that in the final analysis, there are really only two possibilities when it comes to Jesus. Either trust him or be offended by him. There's not really much in between. You wrestle long enough, you're going to land with one of those two things. Either you will trust him or you will think he is crazy. So if you're here, and regardless of the language that you would use to describe your, your faith or your lack of faith, If the God I just described is not the God you know, then you need to know that this is the one who welcomes you to his table, the one who steps into the darkness and won't stop reaching into yours. I hope you will risk knowing him. And I don't care if that's here or over at Dancing Goats with a really good book and a flat white, maybe a conversation partner, but you have to put him somewhere. And if you're here and you do know that God, then you know that it's too good to stay in here. It needs to be experienced. Jesus took on flesh, which is a way of saying that he transformed even these bodies so that they are capable of bearing light out into the world. After all, he did not simply come to illuminate this building. He comes to bring the gifts of hope, joy, love, and peace so that you can carry them out, so that you can open doors for those who are waiting for freedom and waiting for the light. So connected to him, you may reflect the light to those whose hope has grown dim. In a few minutes, we're going to pass candles And I want to invite you to let that be a symbol to you. For those who long for the light, all you simply have to do is receive it. This is your true calling. And may you remember as you do that your calling is never to create the light, but simply to get as close to it as you can. So as the band comes up and as we begin to... Ponder what God has done. May its rays shine upon you. So that when people see you, they see the source of that light. For that is how those who are worn out, walking in the shadows, are going to find their way home. Let us pray. Jesus, our Emmanuel, As Christmas comes, give us grace to see your light. That we may be a reflection of that light to a world that is weary from walking in darkness. This we pray. Amen.